Artlist.io. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Right Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Jacobs. Join me every Friday, New Eastern Time, with decision makers from the world of athletics, both from collegiate and professional sports. But joining me today is my good friend, the Vice President of Athletics and Recreation at the University of New Orleans, Mr. Tim Duncan. Tim, welcome to the Right Fit. DJ, what's going on, my man? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. I'm looking forward to getting to the Final Four. And, you know, you've been hosting a lot of stuff this year with everything going on there from the Mardi Gras. And now you got the Final Four coming to your illustrious town. But before we get to the Q&A, I want you to talk a little bit briefly about your journey into athletics and why. Yeah, yeah, man. It's I think I, I have what they call a non-traditional path. I was a student athlete, as you know, at what used to be Memphis State University. Now it's University of Memphis. Uh, I had the pleasure of playing with uh, Penny Hardaway, who's a fantastic teammate, uh, a really good coach, and uh, just a good person. So uh, we had some success, and I uh, I was ill-prepared after graduation. So I, as a kid, my parents instilled in me that you were going to go to college and graduate. I did, but the next day, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I, I ended up playing some semi-pro basketball at, in, in the USVL. Um, you remember that league. You probably remember one of my teammates, Chris Childs. I played with Chris. I sure do. Former New York Net, New Jersey yeah. Net at the time. Yeah. I was the New York Net. I'm taking it way back to when I was a kid when they was out in Long right. Island. He but played with the New Jersey Nets, man. Chris Childs is a good dude, so I played with him uh, a little bit, man. It wasn't, you know, I, I knew I was an NBA type of player. And then with my uh, game, which is mostly defensive rebounding, I didn't think overseas would make more sense for me. I came back. Worked a, a multiple jobs and ended up realizing I needed to go to graduate school. I went to Grambling and majored in sports administration. I had my undergraduate degree in marketing, and I got an I got an internship. I had two internships. Here's another uh, East Coast story, tri-state area story. I got an unpaid internship at the New Jersey Nets, and I had a paid internship with Russell Athletic. So. Being a young man who was not a lot of two, 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 two Russell, particularly Russell, getting that yeah, and I took the internship with them really helped. Yeah, that's a good yeah. Company. I took the I took the Russell Athletic. I worked there in uh, sports marketing for a year and a half, and then I moved to the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company and worked on the Winston NASCAR, uh, Winston Cup. So I worked for the brand of Winston and worked on NASCAR, and then got several promotions and did other things at the company and. I was there for five years and then started a, an events marketing company and RJ Reynolds was our first client. We did event marketing for them and, most, and several other companies. And then um, that afforded my family and I the opportunity to move back to Memphis from North Carolina. And there I went to call on the um, Associate AD for Development in Memphis uh, about him um, talking to some of their donors about supporting my business. And he ended up saying he thought I would be a good fundraiser. And uh, I took a chance, um, took a big pay cut, and uh, and that's how I got started in college athletics. So I was, I was a fundraiser at my alma mater during the time that uh, Derrick Rose was a freshman. Um, and he went to the NCAA championship game. So as you know, uh, a, a great basketball team is the fundraiser, or a great football team is the fundraiser's best friend. So we had a ton of success that year, and it led me to other opportunities. So. I moved up to UNC Wilmington, worked in over fund. I was over fundraising there. Then I got to be, uh, I did have some success there. I was AD for the first time in Payne College in HBCU in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, did that for three years and became AD at Clayton State uh, in Atlanta area. I uh, did that for four years. 
And along the way, I'd interviewed for a couple of Division I institutions, and I didn't get them. And I thought the primary reason was because I was a Division II athletic director. As you know, it's a hierarchy, and it's hard to make that jump. Not impossible, but it's really, really hard, particularly for people of color. Um, so um, Jeff Konya was a friend that I've known for a long time. He was the AD. He had just gotten the AD job at Northeastern, and he invited me up there to be the deputy AD for uh, external. So at that level, it was more about the connection. It really wasn't an interview. He spent, because I knew him anyway, he knew what I can do. He spent the whole time convincing my wife, a Memphis girl, to move to Boston. So uh, we did it. It was a great year, had some success there. And then the University of Search Firm reached out to me about the University of New Orleans. So um, this is the job that I wanted. I, being from Memphis, which is right up the river from here, I'd always seen this institution we played against Irvin Johnson and Tim Floyd at when he was coached back in the day. So I knew they'd had success before, and I thought we could have success, some success again. And I think we're well on our way for sure. Well, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of watching your ascension in collegiate athletics and, um, you know, watch the journey. And, and no person is more deserving than the opportunity you have now. And and just a little side story, I've had two former players that actually played for the University of New Orleans. Quan Johnson, you probably hear his name around there, who hit a half-court shot. Yeah, yeah, he played for me in high school, and so did mm -hmm. Jimmy Cliff, who was starting point guard there. So I just wanted to put that out to you. And Tick Price, yeah, yeah, Tick Price, Coach Price was the coach at the time. So, yeah. so that's, that's well, you know, you know what's crazy? Tick Price does our radio. Yeah. Yeah. I, I asked him to do radio for us, man. And, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's been a wonderful marriage. Obviously, I knew him from Memphis. He was after me when he coached at Memphis. But I remember his teams at New Orleans. And I knew him from, you know, just being I was a Memphis guy and around the program. So uh, it was a pleasure for us to get someone of his kind of savvy and, uh, you know, knowledge of the conference. And then most importantly, he's just a good dude. Man. Just a great guy. Yeah, I, I yeah. Think so. What a great guy. Yeah, so that's, we're definitely fortunate. Yeah, Let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we'll talk about some of the things you have done, especially the Emerging Leaders platform that you really was instrumental behind and a lot of the coaches, mm -hmm. you know, this is the right fit. This is a, a coach's platform where, you know, we got coaches from every level as a member of us. But, you know, I want to talk about what does athletics look like at the University of New Orleans? I call it UNO. That's what I used yeah. to call it when my guys were playing at UNO. So what does that look like? Um, I mean, we're a smaller program. We only have 14 sports, of which football is not one. But it's been known for basketball and baseball for, through the years. It's a 8,000-student public uh, research institution here in New Orleans, surrounded by a bunch of private institutions. New Orleans has a lot of college that people don't realize. Obviously, Tulane is here. We're here. Xavier of Louisiana, Dillard, uh, Southern of New Orleans is here. Uh, Loyola of New Orleans is here. They're actually number one in the country in AI. So it's, it, there are multiple colleges in a city that has like 350,000, 400,000 people. So it's a lot of, high, it's a lot of um, um, competition in this market, uh, not including the professional teams, but we fit in, I think it's the, it's the largest public institution uh, we used to be a lot larger. Um, a lot of the enrollment was a lot higher prior to Katrina uh, and, you know, some other financial situations that the state had. So we were about 18,000 and we dropped to around seven and now we're back up to about 
a little over eight. So we're going in the right direction, but that definitely affected people's perception of this university. So right of Katrina during some of the, in the 2008 and financial crisis, the university decided to uh, go back, go to division three, and then, the, or should it go to division two? So we were in the Sunbelt Conference and that robbed a lot of us of momentum and they were beginning the transition process and then the president, the new president decided we'd stay division one. So um, in 2012, we joined the Southland Conference and you know we've been trying to ascend from them. But as you can imagine, you know, your recruiters, your competition would use that against you. You know, they're division three, they can't afford it. So it's taken a while to really get to where people know where we are, know that we're still division one and, uh, you know, trust that, you know, we're not going anywhere. So I think that, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I was able to uh, get it at the right time. Well, they may be confusing you guys with Centenary who was, you know, division one at one time and end up going to Division three. Well, I mean, we were going to do the similar path. I mean, it was pretty public. It was in the newspaper. They had started the transition process, you know, so, um, but they just stopped it halfway through. So it definitely robbed us of a lot of momentum, but, uh, you know, it, every, everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. And I think right now we're on, we're on an ascent and uh, people are getting excited about the University of New Orleans and we're investigating whether we should start football here. We're the only Division I um, program in the state without it. Um, so we just completed a feasibility study, and we're looking at the results of that and trying to figure out you know, what that next move would look like. Well, they couldn't have a better leader within their department to actually get that going um, yeah, you know, as well. And I'm sure that um, if the feasibility study comes back um, favorable, and, and if they make it feasible, I know you're going to have a good – Right. <laughs> that's program. the key part of the study is the whole feasibility part. That's, that's why it's yeah. called feasibility study. Yeah, that's right. You know, student <laughs> fees and all that stuff may go up and you're going to, you know, uh, Mr. Stewart, Sterling Stewart, we said that your development is going to have to get out there and start doing some really yeoman's work right then as well as uh, institutional Absolutely. advancement as well. But um, given some of the transition that you guys went through, you just mentioned, one of the things you um, I know coming into that situation is the culture. Um, you have a chance to create your culture. What is the culture like at the University of New Orleans? Yeah, I think I mean we we I think we are we care about families, our employees, our team members. I don't call them employees or staff members. We care about our team members, and I let them know directly that family is first. So if someone has a sick kid, they need to go handle that. They need to bring a kid in the office for a couple of hours because they can't go to daycare. You could do that. I worked in a job before where the leader would not let any kids. So I mean, we lived in a city with no family. So that means my wife or I had to take off work and go home. Uh, sometimes that's you know more difficult to do than others. So we care about families. We we care about accountability. Um, I think we have a loving accountability. So while there is. Um, there is accountability with each person's job. We try to communicate that and provide them with the resources and try to help them as much as they can um, in a way that you know shows support but still holds them accountable. So that's the way I like to uh, articulate it. I think our well, I don't I don't know I don't think our our communication and transparency has gotten a ton better because that's something that I'm big on. I will try to communicate to our staff, to our team, to our donors everybody as much as possible. And I told our team that 
you will know everything that I know. You just may not know it at the same exact time that I know it because I may have to, you know, check off a box here or speak to a person over there. But my immediate team knows everything that I know. And I think that's important because my mantra is not one of us is smarter than all of us together. So I know that, um, you know, me, me by myself is not uh, as smart or as talented as the direct reports that I work with on a daily basis. Let's talk about the interviewing, your interviewing experience. I want you to talk a little bit about your personal interview experience, both as a candidate when you were in, getting into the business, as well as now as an athletic director leading an athletic program at the Division One level. Yeah, I think it, I think um, as a candidate, it's changed from depending on what level you are. When you're entry level to mid management, mid management, it is you have to. It's about knowing your job. Uh, when you get to higher level in leadership, it's more about the right fit for the lack of. Uh, <laughs> I always get. Level. I always get my guests to end up saying that. <laughs> right, right. So, so a part of that, it to me is understanding how to articulate your successes to answer their questions. So while I research and study the institution, because that's very important, they want to know demonstrated examples of how you can accomplish or solve a particular problem that they have. And the best way to do that is to pull an example from your path and articulate it. So when I prepare and when I you know, pray for these opportunities, I always try to open my mind and be and have it clear so I can, and I'm just, I'm looking inside my mind when my eyes are closed now, and reach back and pull an example that's relevant to the question. Because that's not always easy. But I try not to over-prepare when I'm thinking so much about them and their strategic plan and their organizational chart. I have that, but I spend more time reviewing the successes that I've had and the challenges that I've had that I've had to learn from so I can best answer the questions when they say, tell me what happens, what you would do in this situation. And to me, that's where the rubber meets the road. When have you had to, when, what have you, what mistake have you had that you've had to learn about? And I'm able to talk about that. Talk about a time when you've had to, you know, uh, transition a coach or a staff member. And I'm able to articulate that. To me, that is the most important thing. You know, you got to nail Two things I always tell people, and I'll make sure I do. You have to be able to answer the question, why this university? Uh, and I always say it's like a great first date. It's like a great, it's like a date. When you're dating someone, you want, you don't want to spend, you want to have an answer custom to that person. So I don't want to come to New Orleans because I like gumbo and I like the South. I want to come here because, you know, I saw them play. We played against them before. And I saw how raucous the crowd was and how exuberant the city was. I've lived in, you know, minority majority cities of Memphis, Atlanta, Houston, and I thrived and excelled in those cities. Um, I know what it is to have uh, being a basketball city with the name of the city across the chest, like I did in Memphis and New Orleans. It's analogous because you represent the city in a way that no other institution in that city recommend. So I'm able to throw that out uh, as to why I want to be here at the University of New Orleans. Um, and then when they ask you, tell me something about yourself, you got to hit that succinctly. 
we can't go on too long because people want to, everybody sitting around the table want to ask their questions. And if you don't give them a chance to answer their questions, then they're going to, they're going to, that's going to be a demerit. Yeah. One of the questions that really throw people off is why, the why, and that's right. always something like the why you, you know, any coach that's watching this, if your job ever comes open, <laughs> the basketball job ever come open, you just kind of gave them the answer to the test. Right. So to you, speak. Need to tell, you need to talk about why this job makes sense for you. Right. Why it makes sense. I think the best answers are 75% professional and about 25% personal. Personal right. game, okay for personal being there. I wouldn't leave with it ever. Mm -hmm. um, somebody told me, I love New Orleans. That's why I want to come here. I mean, that's awesome, but that shouldn't be the first thing you say. That should be the first thing, right. And one of the things that a lot of people, even with rising coaches, we do the next step initiative with the top coaches in the country that we prepare them for interview. And I always say, do things in threes. You know, give a statement, provide an example, and give the outcome. Right. And I said, if you stick to that, I said you're going to be okay. You know, doing the interview process. And also, the toughest question is the softball question. <laughs> Tell me about yourself. Right. Yeah, right. and, and most people don't realize that one question, the first three minutes, it shouldn't take no more than three minutes. Get um, in and then get out. It, it, it can basically, you know, hurt your chances from the outset, um, you know, as well. So, um, and that's- I try, I try to reframe that question too, too, mm -hmm. for the people I'm interviewing, I ask them, tell me something about yourself that's not on your resume. Right. Automatically you go down my resume. Like you- like you told me, tell me your background or how you got here. Then I'm gonna right. go through litany. Right. But if you know, tell me something about yourself that you know that's not on your resume, that should be something that's short and succinct. That's right. to um, relevant to that institution if possible. Well, that's true. A lot of people, you know, miss that question. Believe it or not, and um, nine times out of ten, that takes them out of any consideration. And you're just sitting there for the next hour. Talking, right. talking to the committee or whomever who basically is no longer interested in, in having you part of this process as well. Tim, let me take a commercial break. I got to pay some bills and uh, we'll come back, finish talking about the right fit. I'm with Vice President of Athletics and Recreation for the University of New Orleans, Mr. Tim Duncan. The Right Fit Podcast is brought to you by Rising Coaches Search and Consulting. Tired of spending what seems like all of your time and budget filling coaching vacancies? Let Rising Coaches Search and Consulting handle your next coaching search. Our process is simple. We identify, vet, and recruit a talented and diverse group of professionals that fits your institution's profile. All for a low price that we guarantee will beat our competitions. Plus, all of your searches will be handled by former coaches, meaning we will get the best possible insight on all of your candidates and you'll get the perspective that only a former coach could provide. For testimonials, a full client list, or more information, please visit risingcoaches.com. Welcome back to the Right Fit Podcast. I'm with my guest today and I'm going to shorten the title a little bit. Tim Duncan, Director of Athletics. <laughs> no, of athletics and recreation at the University of New Orleans. Let's talk about um, some of the things. I'm going to try to combine this question. Based on your culture, resources, location, and facilities at University of New Orleans, describe the type of individual 
that would be an ideal fit. Because a lot of times what happens is, particularly in coaching situations, when I tell coaches when they're going for a job, you got to understand what they're looking for, what kind of fit you may be. You can't go in there if they don't have the resources that think you're going to get those resources and have delusional granted. So talk a little bit about that. This is a coaching show, and that's important for the coaches to hear from somebody like you who is running a Division One athlete program. Yeah, I think culture-wise, man, you have to be comfortable in New Orleans, and that was something that the search firm uh, told me that we had to be in. To me, that's code for being in a city that's minority-majority. I mean, so that's that's a real that's a reality. New Orleans is there are parts of the city that's gritty, and there are parts of the city that are beautiful. Right. Uh, all of it's beautiful, but there, are, you know, some people may think equate um, uh, socioeconomic with beauty, and you know, New Orleans has all of that. So I think people have to be comfortable here in this city and embrace it. Uh, I think people can can see through. If you don't really uh, enjoy being here, and it will be tough for you to get things done from, you know, recruiting local kids to uh, identifying with our alums and donors and corporate families. So I think that's the number one thing that you have to make sure that you're comfortable in, in, in an environment like this. Um, we're a public institution, so that, I mean, things take a little bit longer than in private institutions. That's uh, uh, that's important. Um, I, community service and being a part of community where our hashtag is is hashtag Nola's team and that's our marketing campaign that will be probably two or three more years but it's more than that it's in our dna so we give back to the city our student athletes led the country in community service hours because i think that by giving back to the city they'll give back to us um and you know that's important for people to embrace that it's important. It's important to understand that this is a collaborative relationship. Um, I'll give you an example. Our coach, Coach Slash, I think he's done a tremendous job. He was used to having autonomy over scheduling, and that's interesting because basketball coaches typically are, but no football coaches are, or rarely are football coaches have that. And so we had to have conversations about juggling um, guarantee games with non-D1 games that, you know, at this level that you play that can be wins with games of Division One opponents that, that we got to have in our building. So um, but so for fans, because our fans were telling me that we don't want to go to a whole bunch of, see a whole bunch of teams that are non-D1 that we don't know who they are, so we're not going to pay to come to that. But I understand if you play in five or six guarantee games, you need to kind of be in the same range so you can enter conference about the same. So that was Coach um, Celeste and I had a lot of dialogue about that. And we got into a really good place. <clears throat> but if, and he had to trust me. And I asked him, I said, Coach, trust that I want the same thing as you want. I want you to be successful. So we've done a good job. And I think it helps because I may have a little bit of credibility just because I played basketball and been at several basketball-focused schools. Five institutions I've been to haven't had football one has so that gives me a little bit more credibility and he trusted me and i think we got into a good place and i think this season bears out to that we were in first place a very long time ended up tied with the second best record uh in the third season in the conference but i think part of that is because we created our own mte here in new orleans okay. so we got three division one teams to come in here and play we won two out of three and probably should have won the third but you know that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes we we play some local non-D1s, but 
their fans get to come to the games. Um, we played, you know, we had five, we had six guaranteed games scheduled, but two got canceled for COVID. So that helped our schedule. Obviously, by not playing them, we didn't get that revenue. But, um, you know, those are tough games to win. So I think we got to a good place. Uh, I think uh, he and I talk scheduling a lot. Um, it's not my decision, not his decision. It's our collective decision. So any coach that will come here, we, we work together on it. That, you know, that has to be the thing because we have to balance a couple of things. Yeah. Let's talk about some do's and don'ts. Give me your three do's in interviewing and those three don'ts when interviewing. Um, let's go to don'ts first. So I, I think we talked about, you know, you got it. Don't take too long to answer questions. Nail the nail the question as to why us and tell me about yourself you got to nail those two, those two questions um I, I think coaches struggle with um, bringing the manifesto i like to call it um, i like that i like that yeah the binder yeah um, i don't know any ad's that read it um i read them because you know particularly with basketball i care about that but uh i think i don't is don't think the job is all about basketball. It's about your culture, about how you interact with the students. You know, how can you uh, help with you know fundraising for your program? How good of a colleague you are to people across campus? How good a colleague you are to the rest of the coaches? Are you are you are you showing up at other people's events? Are you advising your, your student athletes to show up at other people's events? Um, yeah, so those things are, are really important to, to um, you know, to, when we're looking at coaches for the don'ts. For the do's, you know, the opposite of that. I mean, you got to be a good team player. Sometimes decisions that are best for the department may not be what's best for the program at the moment. And I understand that sometimes, I understand that you, I expect you to advocate for your program at all times, but sometimes those decisions won't go that way. And you should have those knockdown drag outs in the office and they're fine, but once everyone leaves, you gotta be on the same page. So that's the do. You gotta be a good team player. Um, you gotta support, you know, the other, you gotta be a great colleague to folks on campus. We're not a big enough program or institution to be isolated in a box from the campus. We have to work successfully with them. So you can't be an asshole to admissions. And that kind of stuff, you know, you can't do it. And then, um, you know, be available for your student athletes. That's the number one thing. I don't mind any coach coaching them hard, but I think you know, you have to you have to love them up as much as you coach them hard. They, they have to know you care about them as people and you're interested in not only them, but what their interests are. And the more you show them that, the more, the harder you can coach them and challenge them in a respectful way. You can't dog cuss kids like probably you and I were dog cuss back in the day. Um, that, that that was a term of endearment. We thought, yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> that, that, now you have to relationship. We did. Yeah, now, that's how we knew coaches cared. Yeah, right. Now you have to build relationships in a different kind of way. I think you can you can coach them hard, but you have to do it in a respectful way because people uh, are just built differently, and you know you have to realize that. There's a quote in the movie I like to talk about: um, Moneyball. Brad Pitt said, "Adapt or die." Yeah, and as coaches, we have to. I'm not a coach, but coaches, but as administrators and working with young people, we all have to adapt to that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that that's the culture now in collegiate athletics. You know, with a lot of coaches that are older now that I, I coached against, they call me now talking about being able to adapt to the athletes of today and um, even administrators being able to adapt to the changing culture in collegiate athletics. And and that leads me into the next question. Um, are there any industry trends that one needs to be abreast of? As you know, collegiate athletics is, I mean, everything is changing so rapidly, you know, across the board, you know, with the NCAA coming, get ready to uh, probably amend some things, make some changes. They're reexamining how they do business. Now you got the NIL, you got all this stuff going on in collegiate athletics. Are there any trends potentially for people to look at in terms of transitioning into collegiate athletics? Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be like the go-to. That's going to be something that's very much needed. Yeah, I think the player empowerment is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And coaches at the college level need to understand and embrace how the coaches at the NBA level coach. They look at their, there's like partnerships. Now, for far too long, uh, college coaches have been dictators and they've been able to say what to do with, you know, say and do what they wanted to do without a whole bunch of repercussions. And that has changed. And we have to embrace that and look at them as partners in this thing. When it comes to revenue, when it comes to, it's like a relevant, when it comes to revenue with NIL and those are decisions that they're making, when it comes to um, whether they're gonna stay or jump in the transfer portal, I look at it again as a relationship. We have to earn the right to coach them on a daily basis. It's just like a relationship with your significant other, whether it's, you know, yeah, your significant other. If you're not treating that person right, they're gonna leave and that's the same student athletes and there's a lot of student athletes we have to remember they're they're young they may leave because something is shinier and new over there just and i think you look at it i'm a glass half full person so i look at it as they walk out and leave over there then somebody else is going to be attracted to what we have to offer and, and and all you can do is pour into what you can and the ones that are meant that receive it best if you're genuinely doing that You'll be able to reach them and, 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 and grow from there, but there'll be a small fraction that won't fill it and want to go somewhere else, and we got to be okay with that. Well, you know what? It's, it's such a, a, a trend now with just the turnover, not just on the athletic teams. Um, you know, before, you know, being a, you being a Division One athletic director, dealing with the APR, one of the things that, of course, NCAA has got to look at is that APR now with players yeah. switching and transferring and, you know, all all that kind of stuff. I could see them strictly abolishing that at some point in time, unless they change the rules back where if you do transfer, you got to sit out a year. But right now with the one-time transfer exception across the board, you're going to continue to, you know, see this trend. Even in the athletic administration realm, there's a lot of turnover in departments. You right. know, the younger generation, you know, they're, they're moving. You know, they're looking to move. You know, the average expectancy in the job now compared to when you and our parents were working, you know, right. Two, it's like it's like two point two years now, where you can keep somebody, and now the trend is even with turnover, that's not looked bad upon on your resume if you turn it it's over. Not. It's not, you know, we know right. in the past that was. So the, you know, yeah. as I tell even the young coaches, I look in the transition into administration or some other parts of sports. You know, I said it's totally changed now, where you can pick up and just move around and you know do all that stuff. So you know. The, the trends are changing, and I try to keep them abreast of those things to make sure they understand that as well. My final question, and this is the fun question. I love word, word association. Oh, here we go. I, I say the first thing. 
I say a word, you say the first thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. It's not going <laughs> to, and some people. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> University of Memphis. Home. Family. Surround me. That's two words. <laughs> That's okay. Collegiate athletics. My passion. And the University of New Orleans. I'm number two. <laughs> Tim, thank you for taking the time this afternoon to um, join me today here on The Right Fit. I want to thank the viewers and listeners for tuning in as well. Join me next Friday with another great guest from the world of professional sports of collegiate athletics. Until then, I am Daryl Jacobs. Please stay healthy, stay safe, and have a great weekend.